0: You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box.
1: Welcome back to Out of the Box. I'm Dan Feldstein, Director of Marketing at Iron Source, stepping in for Melissa this week. Today, we're talking to Dave Riggs, founder of useracquisition.com, about how growth managers can build their own solutions and his journey from engineer to growth marketer. All right, Dave. Great to have you here today with us.
0: Great to be here. Thanks.
1: Um, not a problem. What we'd love to start with, I think, is can you tell the audience a little bit about what UserAcquisition.com does?
0: So UserAcquisition.com is a, a growth agency. And what we do is we build custom UA tools that are specific to companies' company's workflows. Uh, so typically those replace uh, internal tools uh, or or tools that uh, you're you're buying on a percentage of spend basis or other lifecycle marketing tools. Um, So uh, typically, companies hire us to automate things like Facebook ads or Google UAC or um, other areas and merging lots of data together so that UA, UA managers can make decisions in one platform Uh, very easily and uh, without having to uh, go to spreadsheets.
1: How long did you own the useracquisition.com domain for before you launched your business?
0: Yeah, so I wanted to really get into UA. I've been doing UA for a while, but I decided to really go all in on user acquisition. And so I Googled, or I just went to useracquisition.com. Turns out some guy was sitting on it. And so I hit up the broker and I said, hey, I'd like to buy the domain uh, we negotiated probably for a couple months, and this is late 2017, uh, came to a price and uh, decided to buy the domain. So you know, kind of got lucky that some guy was willing to sell it. Um, I wish I had uh, thought earlier to buy it when it was available because I would have paid um, a lot less.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing and you know looking at your background you had quite an interesting journey from from starting your career as an engineer to certainly launching your own business being your own boss would love to hear about how you manage that that trajectory to where you are
0: now sure so yeah as you mentioned um i actually my my family was uh programmers. My dad's a programmer, my brother is a programmer, and we had other programmers in the family. So kind of grew up with uh, computers and computer science, majored in computer science, did programming for a long time. And I thought I would stay there for pretty much most of my career until uh, in 2007, I met some people making money online uh, through Facebook ads. And so I actually Googled make money online, uh, which <laughs> there was actually a, a smaller industry than there is now, but people were making money online through affiliate marketing, which means that you didn't, didn't have to have your own product or service. You could basically promote anything that you wanted um, or that the companies were willing to pay you a bounty for. So I started out in online dating where uh, match.com or eHarmony and true.com would pay me four or $5 for every single time I would get somebody to sign up uh, for the dating site. And so this is what I was learning when I was Googling make money online. And so I decided to create some Facebook campaigns right when Facebook self-serve launched back in 07 and started losing money for a while, spending more money than I was making. Um, And what I realized is that Facebook ads is so clunky uh, back then that creating multiple ads, let's say you wanna create an ad for a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old, 25-year-old, you can do that pretty easily with Power Editor now, but back then it was very difficult. So uh, I decided to look into how Facebook ads platform works, uh, reverse engineered their, um, uh, their ads platform, and I built my own uh, harness or, or test platform, so to speak, that I could then input all of the different ages and genders and other targeting combinations into my platform and post hundreds or even thousands of ads per day. Um, And so that gave me an advantage where uh, essentially I was building the automation tools that are almost core to my business now. Um, But the idea was to post lots and lots of ads into Facebook and then in check using other programming tactics to check uh, which ads were profitable and which ones were not, and then pull back the unprofitable ones. And so in doing so, I ended up making more money doing that than my programming day job. And so I quit my programming day job and started doing this full-time, hired a couple people um, and did that for several years. And then ended up, um, Facebook became very difficult around 2011, 2012, because let's just say some of the ads that I was posting for online dating were a little bit risque. And, you know, and other industries um, also went by the wayside as well, like um, diet campaigns I was posting, things that I wasn't really proud of, but that actually made money. Um, so eventually I ended up getting a day job as a marketing guy, but also had some of the skills with programming that I could use. And then fast forward to today, you know, again, we're building, um, tools, very similar to what I was building back in 07, but now it's a lot, um, more powerful because we've got a lot more APIs to utilize as well. But that's the story essentially started out as a programmer and then got, um, kind of fell into marketing. And then now I'm doing a mix of programming and marketing now.
1: Amazing. Uh, having been in the space for a while, and you alluded to it, I think we'll we'll come back to some of the things you hit on. But having been in the space, what do you, what do you see having been the biggest changes? Uh, between 2020 and you know the early growth days of the late 2000s, early 20 teens.
0: Yeah, I think that you know the algorithms on Facebook and Google especially have changed a lot. So. Um, I mean, even going back to 07, there were so many ways to game Facebook. I mean, even just literally posting 10 ads with the same targeting, Facebook would give one attention earlier than another. And it still does that to a certain extent, but you could really game the system. Now it's much, much harder to do that. And in that same vein, it's almost better to create, for example, one really, really broad campaign as opposed to creating lots of different individual campaigns so you're almost leveraging Facebook and Google to their algorithms to make the decisions for you as opposed to really trying to hone in on the customer right away so I would say you know creating fewer larger campaigns with broader audiences is really important Um, another big change is that you know these again based on the algorithms I mean creative is just so important now so um, you really need to be investing in a lot more creative um, a lot of these platforms have APIs, so it's really opened the capabilities uh, of companies like mine to create tools for these platforms. So I think it's just becoming a lot um, more API and, and data driven, as opposed to you know systems that you could game or um, you know that were less technical back in the day. Gotcha.
1: And you know, there's a lot of talk even. Even today, I saw there was another algorithm change announced on one of the platforms for a certain type of content. Uh, everyone's super sensitive to those changes happening all the time. What do you think the trends are that you're seeing pick up steam right now, going 2020 second half of the year into 2021?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously biased because this is what we do, but uh, automation, I think, is is so important. So, um, you know. When you, when you think about it, you know, computers can do so much these days, especially when you have APIs. And so what are things that computers can't do? Um, creative, uh, writing funny jokes, like you couldn't program a computer to do, uh, I don't know, a Chris Rock skit or a Dave Chappelle skit. That's just not really possible. So it's the creative work that you're really going to want to invest human um, power into. Um, but I just see, you know, my clients, I mean, the, the, the pain points are all the same. It's that I don't want to be, lo- like, I have to log into Facebook. I have to make all these changes one by one. I have to export data from one system into a spreadsheet. I have to merge that spreadsheet with data from another system. I have to do some calculations, and then I have to take those bids and budgets and then paste them back into Google and Facebook or other platforms. You know, these things are really easy to program these days because all those APIs exist, and, you know, merging data from one platform to another is, is pretty straightforward now. So I think that's where things are going to be headed, but you're still going to need humans to make the the high-level creative and, you know, data-driven decisions or strategic decisions. For example, launching a game. Like, you're not going to be able to program a computer to do that, but once the game is in full swing, then you're going to have a lot of data to work with and then, um, you know, leverage automation to continuously improve.
1: You know, thinking about clients and... Those high-level strategic decisions that that you mentioned, they have to make. Do you find that clients have become more sophisticated about how they approach growth and platforms over time? Um, has the, or has their approach changed? Like, what what have you seen?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's become more sophisticated in the sense that the tools that are now available are, uh, I mean, insanely powerful and useful. So, for example, on the the BI and reporting front. Um, I mean, Looker and Tableau are fantastic tools. I would say I my clients use a mix of those. Um, you know, on the attribution front, Singular, AppsFlyer, Adjust. Just, I mean, they're all, all great, great platforms. Um, so those things didn't exist a long time ago. So, you know, you don't have to spend as much time building those things internally. So what I'm trying to do most of the time is make a decision, build versus buy. So do we need to build a system that shows fancy graphs and um, reporting and analysis going, ba- going back, you know, allowing you to slice and dice data? No, because you've got Looker or Tableau to do that. Um, so continuously, what I'm finding is that the pain points that people are experiencing, we can solve some of them with tools, subscription-based tools, and then a lot of them we can solve via building on top of readily readily available APIs. Um, so it's, it's kind of a fun decision when you're trying to figure out which whether to build or, or buy, um, and you, you really have to have a good, um, a good view on what tools are available to make that decision effectively. But I mean, tools are popping up all the time, so it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting.
1: You know, that, that makes for a really nice segue, I think, into one question I'd love to ask you, if you could take us through, um, you know, a hypothetical approach with a client, say I'm, I'm a marketing manager or I'm building out my, you know, I'm, I'm finally deciding that I need to build my own stack or, or, you know, I want to work with user com to stop using spreadsheets and doing things manually. Like, can you take us through the process hypothetically of like how you, how you approach that workflow, how you crack that code with clients?
0: Sure. So the first thing that we do is we'll talk to the typically the UA manager or director or VP of UA, um, but we'd like to talk to the people who are are doing the uh, the day-to-day work of optimizing campaigns. And it's really just walk me through on a screen share what your UA workflow is. And I described it a little bit earlier, but it's it's almost always pretty similar where they're logging into Facebook or Google or other platforms, and then they're or adjust or singular and then they're exporting data and then they're merging data, et cetera. So, you know, I'm essentially interviewing the person and f- walking through their workflow and then trying to identify areas that we can automate. And, and oftentimes it's really just simple things. It's that people are don't want to be in spreadsheets or they don't want to um, log into all these different platforms or their BI platform has to be merged with some other data set and it, it's like it's so common across multiple companies so so the process is literally just interviewing people and walking through their UA workflow and then we're going to create a document a PRD which is the pr- product requirements document which essentially lists all the uh the success metrics of what we're trying to do so we might want to support multiple titles that's a, a common request we might want to uh, I mean everyone wants to remove reliance on spreadsheets um, they want to improve, return on ad spend. They want to save time. I mean, those are pretty much the two top ones is, is improving ROI and saving time. And then another one is unlocking more business. So you might want to spend more on uh, a platform like Tapjoy, Iron Sword, everybody like you know any, anybody that you might want to spend money on, then that you, you're not spending money on already. We're going to help you do that. And then we'll phase it out. So the first phase might be, enabling viewing data, just essentially just allowing you to view the data. Uh, then phase two could be enhancing that data. So it allows you to set targets or ingest data from somewhere else. And then the third phase could be automating your workflow. So that's recommendations, um, rules, auto stop loss, almost like things that a day trader might want. So that's really our process there.
1: Makes sense. I, you know, I think we hear that from our clients a lot that, the saving of time is one of one of the biggest values that any partner can bring. Uh, You know, it, it really makes a lot more possible, I guess. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, adding in new partners as a result of, of building your own tech stack or like being able to see that you might be, Getting growth in places you weren't expecting. Like, can you? What are some of the things you, you your clients have uncovered after automating and and building their own solutions with you guys um, versus what they were doing before?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Iron Source is a good example where um, Iron Source actually, and I know this is a, a shameless plug, but I'm, I'm sure you won't mind it. But the the uh, the API capabilities of Iron Source are much greater than most other networks. And so what that allowed us to do for one client is we built a tool on top of iron source that allows them to do a lot of the things I mentioned. So setting targets, ingesting data from spreadsheets, um, doing recommendations and, uh, rules and for bids and blacklisting. So that has actually unlocked more spend for this client because the doing this without any kind of automation is fairly tedious. And so, what I, what we've seen is that UA managers are often just getting blocked, and they just they don't take things to the next level sometimes because they don't have the automation capabilities. But like an example is like if you try to optimize a thousand different publishers, and you do that, you can do that in the spreadsheet, which is fine. But then you're going to have to run some math in the spreadsheet, and then send that back to your rep, and then there's going to be a delay from when that rep actually uh, posts the bids in the system. So instead, this is all pro, uh, programmable via APIs, and so that's really what we find is, is the spend gets unlocked on these networks like IronSource, um, and but on Facebook and Google, oftentimes it's just saving time because they're already spending a lot on Facebook and Google, so they'll just end up saving time there, which is which is nice. So it's a good difference. I mean, Facebook and Google saving time, and then IronSource is really unlocking unlocking spend on the CPI networks.
1: Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense and and I think you know do you find that the clients that you're working with are at the sophistication level where they already know what they want when they start working with you um, and they know that this is the direction they're moving towards they just need to bring the technology in to get it or do you, do you find that they need you know they they don't know what they don't know, and they need to ha- get over some education hump hurdles as well.
0: It's a little mix of both. Uh, most of them are fairly sophisticated, um, where they've got their attribution provider, and their maybe they have a cost data solution like Singular, or sometimes one in the same, and they're already ingesting that data into a database on a regular daily ETL pipeline. So that could be going into BigQuery or Redshift. And so they already have, I I think what we look for is is clients that have some level of data sophistication and data engineering, because where we shine is the ability to marry data from APIs like Facebook Insights or Google and marry that with their backend uh, backend database data. So that's most of our clients, but the the good news is for clients who don't have that, we've been through it and we know how to do it very quickly and especially with off-the-shelf tools to bring in data, um, you know, that's, it used to be a bigger pain point, but you can get it done. So we've done a mix of both. And I think we've typically will create multiple documents that outline exactly the game plan and then the client can approve it and decide whether they want to move forward or we can, you know, update the scope. And so, and that's all based on, based on their particular needs, their level of sophistication and, you know, everything. And and of course, things that we recommend based on, uh, what's working for other clients as well.
1: Yeah. Do you, when you're working with clients, I guess, um, or if you were to recommend to a client that was rethinking their growth team organization or how they allocated their their headcount, how much of that, like having data resources as part of the growth team, do you think is essential to any you know growth marketing function?
0: I think the most sophisticated companies do have some level of dedicated data engineering support. Um, Some of them have them as shared resources, which is fine as long as they're accessible. But I do think it's important uh, to, I mean, the ideal scenario is you've got a UA organization that is completely self-sufficient. In other words, you've got uh, people who are available for creative production, for doing the UA campaign management Maybe you've got a data scientist, depending on how sophisticated you want to be. You've got a full stack engineer. Uh, you might, you've got somebody who maybe, maybe this is a shared resource on the game team to help implement an SDK, especially during launch. Uh, then you also got a BI engineer who can create um, tables or make those tables accessible. So I think you want to make sure that you're not blocked in those areas if you want to move fast. Um, so I would say make the UA org as self-sufficient as possible, and use only the shared resources that you can. If you want to scale a game on the order of, let's say, Marvel Strike Force, which is uh, one of my longest-running clients, Fox Next Games, which sold to Disney and then sold to Scopely. uh, Marvel's been a very, very strong game over the years, and they've got a really, you know, they have a really good uh, UA workflow um, based on the self-sufficiency of the UA team.
1: Got it. Do you do you find other not like clients outside of the gaming space are adopting that UA team model as well?
0: I I see most of them are. Um, you know, again, I think they have enough enough uh, dedicated resources to get the job done, and then using um, a few shared resources is is okay. But uh, yeah, I've I've seen a mix on, on that situation.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting lens to look at growth through, uh, by industry, right. Is how, how their, their growth booms are set up. Um, I was having a conversation with someone else about the the differences between legacy businesses that are trying to launch growth organizations versus digital native businesses that are building growth from scratch and, and are, more adept at bringing in the right resources
0: right away. Um, you know, yeah, that could um, be a challenge for sure. I mean, if, if you're, if you're trying to start a growth org, uh, within a company that is maybe less, uh, has growth, uh, not as much part of their DNA, that can be, that can be challenging.
1: Um, you know, along those lines, I know you've, you've done some work in the streaming video space and, uh, one thing that we wanted to ask you about is there's a lot of talk on the, of the streaming wars on the content side, kind of like investing in content, investing in production. Do you see those wars kind of happening on the UA side as well?
0: I do. And so a lot of the creative that has worked for us um, in, this, in the streaming TV world is well-recognized IP um, really short snackable content that people really enjoy watching. Um, and I think that having a a low friction to use the products, um, is, is pretty important. So all of those things going together are, are pretty key for, for scaling. Um, so yeah, I think content is king. I mean, if you've got really good content and it's really easy to be accessible, then, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's much easier to scale
1: makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to go back a little bit to your, your kind of like career arc and what, what you bring from that to when you're hiring or giving guidance to other, you know, future growth marketers or people in that career path, um, you know, coming from an engineering background and moving into marketing is maybe le- considered less conventional. I wonder what your what your kind of take on that is, and and what has worked when you pivoted.
0: Yeah, it's people have asked me, and they say, "Wait, wait, so you're you're going backwards in your career? What are you what are you doing?" But you know, it's it's it. I actually think it's moving forward because I think that you know there's a lot of ways that you can get things done without having to learn to code these days, especially based on all the tools that that you have accessible and having a marketing having experience in marketing or UA means that you can sell. And that's really what you're doing is you're you're persuading people to take actions online, whether it be downloading an app or even uh, buying a product online. So I look, I mean, you know, obviously I'm biased and I love a mix of both, but you really don't need to learn how to code to get into UA. I think having, what I look for is people who have experience with a wide variety of tools, because there's a lot of different, Tools that you can utilize um, to get almost any job done nowadays. I mean, there's a million different SaaS products out there. So I like I like people who have experience, somewhat, some technical experience, um, but most importantly, just experience using platforms and tools. So whether it be Facebook ads, Google, um, buying, like actually doing some buying, um, iron source, you know, other platforms as well. But then also mixes of tools on the BI side, so you know, again, Looker, Tableau, or even some um, some attribution solutions. So I would say just get familiar with marketing technology. That's probably the most important thing.
1: Gotcha. Do you are th- are there soft skills that you look for as well that you think make growth marketers stand out from from other you know maybe marketing disciplines?
0: Um, it's a good question. I think, I think that people who can, I mean, who are very interpersonal and can talk to people very well within companies, I think is important. Um, but I'm going to probably scratch this question. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good, witty answer on that. But really, it's just, you know, it boils down to, it boils down to people who are, have, Technology experience, but are also a joy to work with as well.
1: No, I think I mean I think that that's a that's a great answer. I think that um, people who may be in more quantitative backgrounds or fields maybe overlook the interpersonal dimension of, of some types of jobs. For sure. uh, and the flip side of that might be you might have someone who's who's really quantitative but who also wants that selling. Uh, that selling aspect or that interpersonal capability within, within their, you know, prospective job. Um, you know, I, I think that goes along with like, if people are early, if, if someone's like a junior UA manager in their first UA job, what advice would you have for them? What are the things you think that they should focus on?
0: I mean, the biggest way to learn is by shadowing people who are, have more experience. So even just standing over the shoulder and watching somebody launch a Facebook or a Google campaign or um, any other platform is, is probably the most important thing. Uh, try to learn as much as possible by, by watching what other uh, experienced marketers do. Try, I mean, get your hands uh, dirty with playing with different tools. So trying free trials of lots of things, trying to you know work in spreadsheets and connect data to different places so that you understand how uh, data relationships work. But you know, I think the best experience you can have is just uh, by getting into any kind, in UA, getting in, into any kind of large UA company and watching how they work. So that's where you're going to see all the different types of specialties, whether you're on UA or creative or in engineering, and then watching how they all work together. I think that's really important.
1: And then, I mean, I think that's great advice. Um, I always joke that when, you know, for those of us of a certain age, UA wasn't really a career uh, choice when you went to the Career Services Center. And, and you know, what is now the flywheel of business growth for a lot of companies back in the day was direct marketing and was very unsexy. Um, yeah. Yeah. But- you know we always close this out with uh, a question that we like to ask, which is you know what what was your out of the box moment in your career as a growth marketer like what was the the aha the project you're most proud of the the moment that you were like, okay yes, this is what I want to do long term.
0: The aha moment for me was when I had uh, my first profitable campaign on Facebook and this was back in 07, like beginning of 08, um, and realizing that it there you can persuade people online to download apps or buy certain things by really good advertising by mixing really good advertising and creative with some engineering. I think that's that was the aha moment and and really the moment where I Decided to quit my job as a programmer and then go into UA or marketing full time. So um, I think it's it's pretty exciting when you um, are able to um, you know see any kind of success with UA, whether it be on campaigns for somebody else's product or uh, your other your, your the game that you're working on. Um, that was my aha moment, and I'll I'll never forget it. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. Well, thank you again for joining us this week. Um, I guess let's close out with where can people find you?
0: So you can find me at useracquisition.com and uh, feel free to reach out if you ever want to talk about automation or if you want any help. Happy to talk through some of the solutions that we have and uh, what's working for other uh, companies as well.
1: All right. Great. Thanks, Dave.
0: Thank you.